Just a bit here. Let's sing that song, Won't It Be Wonderful There? 
that song, uh, This World Is Not My Home. Now this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't be at home in this world anymore. And oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't be at home in this world anymore. Now they're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. I fixed it up with Jesus many years ago. I know he'll see me through, though I am weak and poor. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore now just over in the glory land we'll live eternally the saints on every hand are shouting victory the songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore And I can't feel at home in this world anymore And oh Lord you know I have no friend like you If heaven's not my home then Lord what will I do The angels beckon me from heaven open door and I can't be at home in this world anymore now just over in the glory land we'll live eternally the saints on every hand are shouting victory the songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore and I can't at home in this world anymore and oh Lord you know I have no friend like you if heaven's not my home then Lord what will I do the angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore and oh Lord you know I have no friend like you if heaven's not my home then Lord what will I do the angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't be at home in this world anymore. Amen. I'm glad that uh, we are almost.
almost there where we will be going home here soon. Let's uh, put it in D, I believe, and let's sing that song, um, My Soul, Love, Mercy, and Grace, before we take our needs before the Lord here. And I saw love, mercy, and grace. I saw love, mercy, and grace. I envisioned. If I could have uh, Brother Chris come up and pray for these. We just want to remember Brother Caleb, um, who is coming home. He is uh, coming back from Texas. So we just want to remember him. And we also have here Brother Noah, who is recovering from his uh, shoulder. That's a pretty lengthy recovery process. So we just want to remember him in prayer that God will just speed that up for him. We also want to just remember Sister Mary Smith. Uh, we could just continue to re remember her in prayer. Uh, I also have here that Brother David Whitlock will be uh, having his surgery on Monday for his gallbladder. So we, we could just remember him. And I also have a prayer request here from Brother Matt that uh, if we could just remember him in prayer. Uh, he says, I have to make a very important job-related decision uh, in the very near future. So if we could just remember him, that God will just guide that decision. And uh, if you would also just remember dad who is away, uh, just traveling for work as well this week. Uh, that is all the prayer requests that I have this evening. Just uh, any unspoken prayer requests by the lifting of your hand. I know many of us have them. And if you would just stand with me, if you would just come forward. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to gather, to gather in person, to come to your house, Lord, to, to worship you in song, and Lord, to, to sit and hear your word. Lord, we've heard the needs tonight. There are those that are traveling that, Lord, we ask that you would be with them, bring them home safely. Lord, we've heard those that are sick or injured in body. And Lord, we just ask that you would keep your healing hand upon them. 
And Lord, any other unspoken needs that the people would have, Lord, we lay them at your throne and ask that you would meet each need according to your will and according to, to our faith, Lord. Father, pray that you would continue to, to be in our worship this evening, be with the ministers as he comes forth, Lord. Our desire tonight is that we would be drawn just a little bit closer to you. Even as the song said that we were singing, this world isn't our home. Lord, bring us a little bit further along that journey tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats. And let's keep it in that same key. And let's sing the song of We Exalt Thee. We exalt Thee. We exalt Mighty power and his grace. 
could come before Brother Barry comes forward. If you would, go ahead and pull up that song, Our God Reigns. Brother Mark, if you would, pray for over the tithes and offering.
Amen. Let's just sing it. How lovely the mountains are.
Praise the Lord. I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a consoling thing to know that God reigns. He's not asleep. He's not wandering somewhere. He's not indifferent to our cry, but he reigns on the throne the same as he ever has. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing God. We want to remember a couple of needs tonight before we go to prayer. A couple of these are serious, so let's um, hold these upon our heart, not only tonight, but through the week. Brother Andy Irish, uh, his mom, as you know, is in the uh, home, and uh, she has that uh, tumor on her brain, and uh, the family's getting a little more concerned about it. And this week, Brother Andy's father is up for an operation for an obstruction of the bowel. And uh, so they're concerned about that, and we've been asked just to remember him in prayer. Brother Jim Babb, uh, still in serious condition in Johnson City. He's still in the hospital, had a series of lung collapses, and they've been reinflating his lungs and uh, dealing with him. Uh, We stay in touch every day uh, with the family, and uh, I can just assure you that Jim needs a real touch and a real miracle. Brother, uh, we mentioned on Sunday, Sister Soriano uh, from the Philippines, from Manila, had uh, the virus, and she was put in the hospital. Uh, over there in the Philippines, they govern a little bit different. They govern a lot differently than they do over here. And uh, when somebody normally has the COVID virus, they put them in a tent city outside the perimeter of the city, uh, and they have to live outdoors in a tent. And this is the hot season over there, and they. Uh, at most, they get a fan. Uh, that's all they have, and they have to survive that, and then they can go back home after a certain amount of time. Sister Soriano didn't go to the tent city. She was able to afford to go to the hospital, and so she's being released from the hospital, but she couldn't go home because she was afraid of infecting Brother Roel. But Roel has serious heart con- uh, issues. Uh, he's up, he, up for a bypass. Uh, his condition is pretty serious, has been for a number of years. He now has the virus. And so Sister Soriano is being released from the hospital to go home to look after him. So we would ask you to remember uh, him in prayer for sure. Uh, Sister Sabrina's father, James. What's James's last name? Oberry. Uh, has a problem with his leg. I saw a picture. Uh, pretty serious infection it looks like in his leg. And so we've been asked to remember them in prayer as well. Having said that, I wanted to mention that uh, we had a good report uh, today on uh, Lincoln uh, Hennes. Is that how you say his name? Hennes. And uh, Lincoln is the little guy we prayed for here, and he's just growing and getting fatter, and uh, we're thankful for that. So I uh, appreciate hearing those testimonies and just a little at a time, a little at a time, and uh, we're just thankful. He's up for another checkup, I think, pretty soon, right, in a couple of days. So we're uh, just looking for continued good reports on his behalf. Brother Aaron, brother uh, uh, Caleb is not here tonight, but uh, I'll tell you, Brother Caleb's a real prayer warrior, and he just took a little Lincoln on his heart, and just he fasted and prayed for Lincoln over several days when he was really sick there, and uh, he just uh, he just really had a burden for him, and uh, now we're seeing him come through, and we're very thankful for that. So uh, God answers prayer. He sure does. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, Lord, many, many things that are upon our hearts. And some of these things, Lord, we get to write down and mention and we can share. But, Lord, we know there are often many serious uh, requests that we don't, uh, many times we don't vocalize, we don't, we don't express them. But, Lord, you know our hearts and you know the burdens we carry. 
I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would minister, Lord, to these needs. And, Father, you would just draw near to those, especially those that are hurting, Lord. We thank your brother Andy Irish's parents, Lord, and just this season of trouble that they're going through. And we just know, Lord Jesus, that you're, you're one who cares about everything that we bring to you. And I pray, dear God, that you would deal not only with their bodies, but, Lord, deal with their hearts as well. We thank your brother Jim Babb, and we thank your brother Roel tonight, Lord, and the Philippines, and just committing them to, to you, Lord, is the very, very best thing we can do. We thank you, Lord, that you care. We thank you that we can cast all of our cares at your feet. And so now, Lord, we give you these needs. We give you this service. We ask that you would forgive us of anything may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, just open our hearts and our minds now to receive from you in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen. Uh, while you're standing, let's take your Bibles. If you don't mind, I'd like to read in a little portion of Daniel. Thank you, uh, musicians. Appreciate that tonight. And uh, I've got a couple of more things I want to give. But just while you're standing uh, tonight, Daniel, the first chapter. I've never, ever in my life gone to 13, number 13 in a series. But here it is. Here it is. And I uh, hope you're excited about that. Well, All right, thank you, Brother Ben. doesn't count, though. <laughs> Daniel, the first chapter. You know this familiar story here of Daniel in the very first of the chapter here, but I just want to capture a little phrase here we're going to use. But Daniel purposed in his heart. They pushed Daniel. They tried to re-educate him. They tried to normalize things that were absolutely incorrect. This was an anti-Bible culture. This is an anti-Hebrew culture. And he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. We're good. We're uh, thankful to have the Clavel clan uh, watching tonight. God bless you all. Good to have you here. Uh, they've been faithfully watching on their, their way with their whole family, celebrating the anniversary of um, Johnny and Doris, and uh, we're, we're excited for them and thankful for all the Clayville families gathered together tonight. Uh, I, I miss this, and I, I hate that I miss this, but uh, this, pa- this week, a couple of days ago, was John and Jennifer Cockman's 25th wedding anniversary, and I failed to catch that in my... Uh, listing of the anniversaries, and we certainly wish them a uh, happy anniversary, and uh, I think it's a real milestone, something uh, worth mentioning, and may God bless them. Uh, Brother Aaron and Sister Trish are not here tonight, and uh, I really appreciated what Brother Aaron said the other Sunday when he ministered about, uh, you know, the, the situation in the world. He mentioned at the very beginning of his service, he talked about the virus and, the, you know, the, uh, the situation in third world countries. Uh, in relation just to health care alone, and it's just so very different. And uh, I appreciated his comments. And uh, the virus in uh, Zimbabwe, for instance, is very uh, bad. It's, it's rapid uh, through there. And today, uh, this morning, Brother Aaron uh, passed on to me that his uncle had passed away. His mother's brother passed away uh, in the hospital with the virus. And so they're not here tonight, and we sure uh, want to hold him up in prayer. And uh, trust that God would, I told him to convey our thoughts and prayers to the whole family. 
over in Zimbabwe. And, I, you know, I said it's even frustrating because you don't have regular funerals. You don't have the opportunity to get together and, uh, you know, celebrate a person's life and, and say goodbye to somebody. And it's, it's just such an odd, uh, an odd thing. It's just such a cursed thing. And uh, it's, it's, we certainly feel for Brother Aaron and his family. Uh, we have several folks who are uh, dealing with job situations. There's one that was mentioned tonight uh, there, but there's a couple of uh, folks that are going through uh, some job changes and, and job situations, and we uh, certainly uh, want to hold them up in prayer because uh, these are important. Obviously, it's an important uh, thing for all of us to be in the right place uh, at this particular point in time. It surely is. So, uh, also as well, this weekend, Brother Matt Watkins is going to be here, going to be coming up to take uh, service on Sunday, and uh, we're excited about that. Uh, I, my wife and I are going to be away. We're going to be in, uh, up in Brother Paula Fontaine's church. Uh, our ratio, Paul and I, our ratio is about 10 to 1. So he comes here about 10 times. I go there once. And uh, so this is my once. So it's what? All about quality, though, right? That's Well... I'll tell him you said that, David. <laughs> and uh, so you pray for us. Uh, now, you know, because we're on the agenda there, he threw in a couples meeting, young people's meeting, and the congregational meeting. And uh, the dedication of uh, uh, the Pritchard's grandson, uh, grandson or granddaughter? Grandson. And uh, so we're excited to be able to go up and, and uh, be there for that. But that'll be this weekend. The following weekend after that, we're going to have a young people's gathering. This will be the weekend before uh, Labor Day. And so we're going to have a young people's gathering on that Sunday afternoon. And uh, we're uh, going to have just a, a gathering together at 3.30 on Sunday afternoon. So that'll be not this Sunday, but the following Sunday uh, after that. Also, too, uh, well, uh, have I said enough announcements or can I get in one more? One more, we're working on Sunday school and reinvigorating our Sunday school back again. Uh, you know, as a pastor, uh, I realize that, you know, when it comes to making decisions about gatherings in our church, it's not always an easy thing to do. Uh, some people think you're, uh, well, uh, let me just say this, that we're going to be doing Sunday school again, and uh, so we're working with our Sunday school teachers and uh, uh, in contact with them, and uh, we want to do it, but again, we want to do it as safely as possible. We have a we have, you know, circumstance around us again, and uh, we have it. Uh, we have the virus and the uh, variant within our church, uh, and those people are not have, are not here and uh, have not been for a couple of weeks. But uh, it is in our church. There are people being tested uh, here because of their exposure in the community, and it is in our community here. So, uh, you know, as a pastor, it's just always a tricky thing to, you know. How, how much do we get together? How close do we get together? Uh, I'm, always, I'm always watching, always uh, praying, always trying to make the right decision because, uh, you know, we don't want to expose anyone unnecessarily to the wrong thing. It is what it is, and we have to deal with it, and uh, everybody doesn't like it. Uh, you know, the decisions that are made, everybody doesn't like the virus. Is there anybody here who likes the virus? And uh, it is it's certainly a very unpleasant thing to have to deal with. And uh, so... Um, you know, we're just always trying to do the very best we can, uh, and I'm thankful that, uh, you know, God has helped us in uh, times past. We've really lost very little uh, church time, which, is, which has been good. I will tell you that, uh, you know, in other countries, uh, like Brother Aaron said, and I mentioned earlier about the Philippines, 
Uh, it's it's really quite different over there uh, without the access that uh, the access to good medical care, medical facilities. Uh, I was talking to Brother Elias, you know, and they're they're all they're they're very anxious for us to come back and visit over there. And uh, I always ask them, you know, how things are because they have uh, they have waves that go through uh, Africa. And he he just wrote me and he said the other day and he said I'll tell you when it's safe to come. I'll tell you when it's safe to come. And uh, so we appreciate that. All right. Uh, we're still letting folks know about the registration. We still have a few places open in the, for the men's meetings, so just putting that reminder out there. <clears throat> we have talked about the Christian family. We've seen this diagram quite a bit. And uh, I, I want to say this, that uh, one of the things that I wanted to do and I attempted to do in this little series is to alert you or make you aware of how that we are experiencing a cultural shift away from what God established as the the basic definition of marriage. I can tell you that God does not like anyone to redefine his word. Uh, God is good at saying what he wants us to know. He is also uh, very very, uh, precise in, in saying what he means. God is very precise in saying what he means. God never says too much, and he never says too little. He says just the right amount. And he reveals his word to his people, and uh, cultures, not, even, even outside of believers, cultures benefit uh, within their culture, within their communities, by obeying God's word. You're always at your best when you obey God's word. And uh, we, we, can, we, we, can, we are transformed, and we are more like Christ all the time when we align with his word. That's just a principle that is found not only now in, in our time, but all through history. That's the way it's been. But in our culture now, we have an in-your-face, on-purpose shift or redefinition of the th- many of the things that God has said, and marriage is one of them. As a matter of fact, if you look at the very simple diagram of how things were in the very beginning, this is an expression in the mind of God. He made a Garden of Eden, and within it he put a family, and the very basis of that relationship was a marriage. And that's the way God designed it. Uh, in the very beginning. That was the structure that God had in mind. He said, when, I'm, when, I, when I create a paradise, when I create a place for my people to live, uh, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be a beautiful place, and within it is going to be a family, and that family will multiply. And God had replenish and multiply on his mind when he created that family. And, and in that context of family, the very uh, central part. He didn't create children first. He didn't create teenagers first. He created a husband and a wife first. Right? That's what God did. So what you're looking at here is an expression of the mind or the heart of God. That's really what he wanted to have. And he never uh, came along after the fall and said, man, that didn't work. Let me try something else. He didn't do that. He left it just as it is because he knew this was the right way uh, for a culture and for uh, a people to exist within this world. And I believe that's going to be a reflection of how it's going to be in the world to come. And I believe it's also a reflection of the relationship that Christ wants to have with his people, right, with his bride. So when Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 5, he uses the model of, uh, you know, a natural family. He says, but I speak of Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let a husband love his wife, because those, those models are so reflective of one another uh, that there's, there's lessons that can be learned both ways, no matter which way you look, right? Everybody okay? 
And so this is, this is an important thing. And uh, when we look in the scripture and we see how God uh, established things in the very beginning, he created man in his own image there, and he had fruitfulness. He had replication in mind. He had, uh, you know, a world full of people that reflected him and reflected the kingdom. All of that was in his mind, and he wanted that uh, uh, mankind to have uh, dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the earth that God created. And when all of that was, was stated, then God says in the bottom of that, he says it's good for a man not to be alone. So, all right, we've covered this, and we've covered this in a couple of different ways, a couple of different uh, ways of saying it here. Uh, but I, I just want to say this, and maybe I could say it just in a casual way this evening here. Uh, we, as, as Christians now in our time, we've lost the home field advantage. All of you people that don't have any involvement with sports know what I mean by that, right? In our town, whenever they have a home game, all of our lives living in, in uh, Christiansburg and up in that end near Blacksburg, uh, whenever there was a home game, uh, everything changed. If, you live in a, if, you live, if you've ever lived in a place where they're like, uh, you know, Edmonton or somewhere like that, whenever there's a home game, my goodness, you know, the whole, the whole uh, atmosphere changed and uh, uh, you, I mean, it, it's just, you, you forget going to a restaurant, forget going to Starbucks, forget going anywhere at all. Uh, you know, there was thousands of people who drove in uh, to be there. Uh, the, whole, the whole atmosphere of the community changed because, you know, the home team uh, was playing and playing in their stadium and the hometown fans were there. Everybody's rooting for them. And I mean, you're just better off getting out of town if you're not involved in the ball games. We, we, we saw it all the time in our, in our years there growing up. In that, in that uh, home team advantage, whenever you get out there, I mean, the, the hometown fans, are so many of them, and they're so loud and aggressive and boisterous that the other side hardly gets a say. They hardly get two cents in because they're considered almost like nothing compared to the hometown fans, right? I, if you've ever, I've never been to a football game, thankfully. Hopefully I'll never have to. But uh, I, I was forced to go to a basketball game one time uh, with Lucas and his brothers, and I'm still repenting over that. And uh, I, cu- I couldn't get out. I couldn't get over how violent the fans were, let alone the players. I just couldn't believe what they were saying to one another. And I thought, wow, this is really, this is really, you know what? And I, so I just, um, I only went one time, and that was it. I said, hey, that's it, that's it, guys. That was a requirement that we had for. Uh, Boy Scouts, and, and it was, uh, you know, that's why I had to go, but uh, anyway, when you, when you have that hometown advantage, it means that the crowd is supremely supportive of that hometown team, and they have all of that behind them. Now, I, I said to you that at the beginning of that little uh, illustration that we have lost the home team advantage. When it comes to the popularity and it comes to the uh, majority of people who would be in favor of how we, that we, we would interpret marriage. I was just absolutely amazed at this because there, is a, uh, there was a study done and, uh, in 2019 and they had some results here published. And uh, they, they were saying in this study, this was the, the Pew Research here, they made the, the statement that they said only a narrow, of, narrow majority, 53% of Americans now believe in the benefits of marriage. Only 53% believe in the benefits of marriage. That marriage is, is essentially any good. And one of the shocking parts of this was that they said uh, they believe that 
they said that 69% of people see cohabitation as acceptable when marriage isn't being considered at all. So when marriage is not being considered, almost 70% of people feel like that's acceptable. So if, if you want to avoid marriage altogether, that's all right, because you always have the fallback of cohabitation and believe that that's okay. So therefore, they were defining marriage as an add-on. When you, if in computer terms, when you have a browser, for instance, you, can, you get the browser and everything gets in the package with the browser, but you can do little add-ons to it. It makes make a little function that you do over and over again. It might make it a slightly faster or slightly easier. It's, it's just a convenience. It's just an add-on. And the way that they're describing marriage now in our culture, it's becoming an add-on. It's becoming something that you can add on there uh, because it, it is, it is uh, you know, in, in a sense... Uh, it is not as essential or important as it used to be. If the majority of people, hardly, the majority of people feel like uh, that it's essential at all, it's, it's, it's hardly, it, it, its purpose is almost uh, erased, if you like. There's no importance to it. There's no underscoring to it at all. Now, when you, uh, when, you, when you begin to study this and you see this shift in culture, and I've kind of been fascinated because uh, the, the, the Christian church, the Christian church is also involved in this shift, uh, believe it or not. Now, let me, let me just illustrate this here, and I want to just find a slide that I have, if I can pick this up here uh, this, this evening here. This was an article that was in the leading Christian uh, magazine for, uh, for ministers. And, and I, uh, I, somebody gave me this subscription to this. But I, I found this statement, and this statement was highlighted. Now, I want you to watch. Don't, don't try to read it here for the moment here. And this, this actually was about the Equality Act. And the Equality Act uh, is, is not going to pass the way it was originally written. And we should be very thankful for that because that would certainly change the way that uh, we would even be, have to conduct church if it was passed the way that it was actually written. Uh, it, it would also, for instance, become a law that if, uh, let's just say that uh, Aunt Mary's Sewing Circle, which is a nonprofit organization, wanted to borrow our church on Saturday to have a knit in, uh, we could not refuse them. We, we could not say, even though we're a privately owned, in a sense, we're, we're our own church, the law then would, would erase our ability to refuse somebody from using our church under, the, uh, under one, one of the uh, existing laws that, that are already on the books here. And the Equality Act would push that and cause us to lose control over uh, things that we would want to do in our own church. And that's really incredible because this is our church. You know, we paid for it and built it, and, and yet we would lose a certain amount of control over it. So that would mean also that if there was a LBGT uh, event and they needed to have a building in this area, they could also apply to use our building and we would have no say in it whatsoever. And there are many, many facets to this Equality Act uh, that, uh, that would certainly change things about how, uh, how we conduct ourselves in here. But now I want you to just to, to follow me here. This was written in 2021 in April. Over the past decade, significant pillars of the evangelical community have wavered in their convictions about marriage and human sexuality. Now, this is an article. It's very thoughtfully written, but it's a look back. It's kind of like, how do we get here, and what do we do now? This is the way the article is written. So just I wanted to quote a little bit of it for you here. 
In 2014, World Vision announced that it would hire Christians in same-sex relationships only to reverse course after a backlash threatened donations. So in order to be culturally or politically correct, they said, well, we're going to, uh, you know, we got an older generation that's dying out. The old white-haired guys are dying out, and those are the people with money, not all of them. But, but they're dying out. So we've got to entertain. We've got to draw in the new generation. And so they said, all right, we'll bend our rules now, and we'll have uh, so-called Christians and same-sex relationships. Isn't that an oxymoron? That's an oxymoron, folks. Okay? But they're saying, okay, we've got to include this segment of the population now because generally they're the people with money. They don't have kids. I don't mean to be sarcastic. But... Once they did that, in order to be culturally acceptable, they got a backlash because now the people who are currently given money said, we're not going to give any more money to this. So they, back, they backpedaled on that. In other words, they're out in the middle of an ocean treading water, and they really don't know what to do. It's horrible. Even they have to talk about this. But I'm, I, I'm saying this not because I want to or I'm interested in it. I'm saying this because you're raising the children that are going to have to deal with this on a very much daily basis. This is the, these are the, some of the pressures that you're going to be feeling uh, in your family, in your family uh, government very soon. Earlier this year, the Equality Act introduced yet another hurdle for Orthodox Christians. The bill, which in February passed, first stage of becoming law, and it will not be like it passed in the first uh, hearing, would have wide-ranging implications for Christians. Most notably, it would throttle religious liberty protections for Christians who dissent from emerging the emerging regime of LBGT rights. So in other words, uh, you would not be able to claim uh, exemption for your uh, uh, charitable donations in the church. Uh, We would lose that right. We would lose any kind of uh, rights that we have with the government uh, if we didn't comply to this. We would be marked. We would be restricted in terms of what we can say from the pulpit about certain current issues like this. The Equality Act is unlikely to pass the Senate in its current form, but even if it doesn't, the bill carries symbolic and cultural significance. In other words, how do we get here? How do we get so far ahead that that could even be considered as an inflection point or a point of thought in the life of our nation? We should be unnerved. You should be unnerved and also chastened by it because the headwinds against socially conservative positions on marriage and religious liberty, and that's us, that's the stand we take, we take a socially conservative position. Let me translate that and say, we believe what the Bible says about marriage and family. Okay? That is socially conservative in in their language here. Uh, the, The headwinds against that are stronger than ever. This is not a problem that began now. This is a problem that began back a ways. Okay, and I'll tell you why in just a moment here. Brother Bram tells us why. And so then they asked this question, and I thought this was really interesting. This is what I wanted to get to. Where should today's evangelicals go from here? I think it's amazing that in this article, and this is an article that goes out to almost every Protestant pastor in the country, where do we go from here? And they're asking the question because they legitimately don't know. Can you imagine being in a religious movement today and having this question asked? Where do we go now? 
Like, that hasn't worked. We tried to open the door to homosexual ministers and, uh, you know, lesbian pastors and all the other things that are out there. And we tried this and we tried that and something else. And none of it's really worked. So where do we go from here? You know what this is? This is a fulfillment of Luke 21. When Jesus said men's hearts would be failing them for fear and, uh, you know, things coming on the earth. And there'd be, there'd be turmoil in the world that people would not have answers for. Remember, I've described it before, like people running down an alleyway and uh, having no place to turn. They come to the end of the alley thinking it's the way out, thinking it's the way to a better place. And they come down and it's just a, a, a dead end. And they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to turn. So now here they are, the leading evangelicals in the country. They're asking the questions, where do we go from here? I tell you what, saints of God, let me say this. It's self-evident. You probably know what I'm going to say. But I'm glad for a prophet that pointed us in the right direction and the presence of God that leads us today all the way through to the very end. I tell you what, I'm glad for that. And I, 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 for one, I'm not wondering where we go from here. I know exactly where we go from here. The, the question of our destiny is not, not, not up in the air. It's not, not, not vague at all. We know exactly where we're going to go uh, from, from here and leave here. We know exactly uh, that God sent a message, and we know precisely that the message is right. Isn't that true? God has given us a clear vindication of what he wanted us to know and to have in the last day, and we have it by God's grace. And by, by uh, you know, repeating and, and over and over, making sure that the people of God stay with the word and stay with the word. And here's Brother Branham standing there and he says, even if I say something contrary, stay with the word. And he's taught us that over the years. We have been disciples of a prophet who came in the last day, who knew thus saith the Lord and gave it to us just as straight as John the Baptist gave it in his generation. And we stand here tonight on the right path, moving in the right direction, in sync and in harmony with God. Not because you figured it out or you got a great pastor, but because God showed us the way and we're not here standing asking the question, where do we go from here? We know better. So they attempt to answer the question, and they said one possibility, one possibility would be the path we did not take. Originally hinted by Carl Henry in 1980 in an essay that he wrote, and in it he made this statement, the resurgent evangelical interest in politics. He said he welcomes that. In other words, we should get involved in the public forum, but worries that this involvement may eventually become as politically misguided as the activism of liberal Christianity early in this century. So in other words, uh, it, you know, it, it's good that we, uh, we, we uh, try to elect Christians in the office, is what he says now. It's good that we try to elect Christians in the office. Uh, it's good that we petition the government when they do something uh, that is clearly contrary to the Word of God, like uh, taking the prayer out of schools or something like that. Brother Bram said, where were the ministers? He said they were, they were all silent when that happened. I mean, I'm just telling you what he said. And, and he said, it's good for us to have uh, a resurgent interest in, uh, in, the, in the, the public forum. And, you know, because that's our American right. This is what he says now. That's what I, not what I'm saying. It's what he's saying. And he says, but eventually, he says, we're not careful. We can become misguided by that. We can become too involved in that. And you can try to, you, you can wind up becoming like a politician who's not going to make a statement unless he knows it's popular and it's going to secure his job or reelection. So now we have a bunch of political pastors in the country who are not going to say anything unless their uh, job is secure. 
right? And those, uh, you know, a lot, uh, big churches with a lot of debt, uh, they don't want a pastor that's going to get in there and ruffle the feathers and cut off the big donors. And, uh, you know, he's got he's to make sure he entertains all the people uh, who don't know who they are, uh, the younger generation who are defined by... Look, I, I was in the... I was, <laughs> I went for a coffee again the other day. My problem is I like coffee, and I wind up going to coffee shops. Coffee shops are generally populated by students and you know, millennials and all the rest of it. I should, I should just give it up because it would make sermons a little shorter. But here I am. I'm in, I'm in the, the, the coffee shop, and I'm looking at this, this them. And I, I know that, David. I know that because they, on their apron they have he with a blank box, she with a blank box, them. With a tick. And it needs a shave. So I know kind of how it, it began. And I'm not making fun. I'm just saying these days you kind of got to wonder. But it is wearing, he is wearing nail polish. And he speaks with a feminine voice. I mean the voice is extremely feminine. I, I'm, I'm generally not a violent person, but I felt like reaching over the counter and pulling him over and say, ah, buddy, it's all right to be what God made you. It's all right to be what God made you. But I spent the last five minutes trying to figure out, because you're throwing a smokescreen down my path here. And you know what? There's a better way. There's a better way. Let me tell you about the better way. And, uh, you know, you just like to share that with people because we live in a world where people's identity is even confused. They don't know. I mean, a lot of people are being taught that, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, I'm not what I am. I'm maybe something else. And I, I mean, you, you know how sickening and how confusing it all is. And, and this is what this guy warns about. He says, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a slippery slope and it's a thin line here because, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of forces at work here. Well, hello, uh, Brother Branham, this was 1980 when he said that. Brother Branham told us that in the 50s and 60s, that there are forces that are operating, forces of darkness that are trying to sway the world one way or the other, right? right? Trying to pull people off the path that God has intended here. And Brother Bram cries out and he warns against it, just like uh, John the Baptist. Because uh, a lot of people, let me tell you, when, uh, when, when uh, uh, the Supreme Court, for instance, made a decision recently about ratifying same-sex marriage all over the, the, the country, right? It, ripple, it has a ripple effect in, all over the country there. I believe the Supreme Court is wrong. They, they passed an opinion. I believe that opinion is wrong biblically. Right? They're, they're in a position to defend the Constitution, make sure nothing violates the Constitution, and I, but I believe their opinion is wrong. And the problem is with that is that we live in a culture where uh, once, once something that is once considered abnormal is now pushed into the forefront and called normal, it's only a small period of time before normalization occurs. And now everything is considered normal. Don't tell me that we're not affected by this whole process either uh, because we are, uh, let me tell you this, whenever you, you know, watch something or listen to something and you're grieved by it, does that continue? Or after a while, it kind of becomes normal. That's called normalization. Or we can put it in another term, that's brainwashing. Right? Now, let me just say this, that 
In our text here, we find Daniel as a young man, and that's, that's what he was when he left Babylon. But now, uh, now he's out there, and he doesn't have a synagogue, doesn't have a rabbi, doesn't have his parents, doesn't have anybody around him. But inherently, he knows. At heart, he knows that this is, this is wrong. For me to, uh, there, I got two problems with this. Number one, that this is not the kind of food that we would eat, and it's offered to idols, and so therefore I'm not going to partake of that. And so he's willing, he's willing in a society that is entirely focused on brainwashing those young men. There is really not much of a difference, folks, between, uh, you know, what happens in our, what's happening in our world and what happened back in that world. They, they took him out of the world that he was used to, and they put him in this other world, and they, they systematically tried to brainwash him and to make him think differently. They gave him a new identity, right? They gave him a new name. They gave him a new language. They gave him a new culture. They gave him a new emphasis on science and logic and all the other things that were out there in Daniel's school books and textbooks. But Daniel... Once it comes to this violation of the word of God, he draws a line in the sand. He goes like this. And he says, you know what? I'll take the government job. I'll eat in the king's cafeteria. Uh, I'll do all these other things here. But uh, I'm not going to violate the word of God. So he draws a line in the sand. I will tell you something, that the blessing of God came upon Daniel after he drew a line in the sand and not before. When God sees you draw a line in the sand and you make your stand on that side of it, no matter what it costs you, that's when God seems to move on the scene and and the blessings come. Let me tell you something. When Daniel and uh, the uh, the, the children of Israel who uh, were told to bow uh, to the image and they drew a line in the sand and they said, hey, uh, you know, we might wear the clothes you got because that's all you got and uh, we might... Uh, you know, take the job that's offered to us and all the rest of it here. But don't tell me that you're going to violate my faith. Don't tell me that you're going to violate the word of God. I'm not going to bow to anything else except the one true and living God. And they drew a line in the sand, knowing the consequences of drawing a line in the sand. But once they did, God moved right in on the scene and stepped into the fire with them. And they were preserved during that time. I will tell you something, our society lulls people across all kinds of lines. And we as believers need to pray that God will give us the determination and the, and the strength and the courage to be able to draw a line and know where to draw it and then to stand behind it no matter what the consequences are. And I believe we're coming to that in our time. Tell your children loud and clear and long who they are. Let them know that their identity is not confusing at all, but they are the way that God made them. And the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's no confusion in anybody's eyes except our society as to who and what they are. You need to tell them that in your family. You need to tell them that in your own household, in your own devotions. You need to do that because if you don't, nobody else will. And the reason that we've got to where we are is Brother Manon makes a simple statement. He said our people got away from the things that they should have stayed with. He said that's Satan's way of gradually entering in. And the picture shows and, you know, the, holy, the compromises on holiness and all the other things that have happened over time. Let me tell you, that's the reason that we are where we are. So when we come down to it, even though Supreme Court decisions very often silence the majority of people, because I remember, uh, you know, the boy scoutmaster, they, he, he had a, a saying on the bottom of his email, like if you email Peter, you get the algebra thing. And, and uh, he had, Mr. Brumfield, he was a chief of police in our town, very fine Christian fellow. And he had on the bottom of his emails, he said, the only 
uh, the, the, the way for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing. And uh, something like this, a statement like that. He said the way for evil to, to uh, flourish was for good men to do nothing. And I believe that that's very true because, uh, you know, Supreme Court makes a decision about uh, gay marriage and everybody goes silent. Everybody says, well, hey, you know, uh, there's nothing we can say and nothing we can do. The problem is, is that that's not the biblical example. Like when John the Baptist was confronted with the Herods of his day, he stood in the, in the center of town and cried out against it. Because he knew it was contrary to God's word. And he knew that people in a position of authority like that have an influence within a culture. And even though I don't believe that you need to be involved in the political process, I don't believe that you need to get elected in order to do things. I believe that we should live a life in such a way. Not a life of contention. Not a life of strife. Not a life of battling everybody on social media. But I believe we should live a life that would make somebody else thirsty to come and say, what have you got that you don't need to immerse yourself in all the swill that goes on in the world here? What have you got that helps you rise above it? Come on, folks, let people examine your life. doesn't matter who it is, my family, your family. Hey, may we live a life in such a way like Daniel did to draw the line, stand there, make that stand based on the Word of God and allow people to rise above all the confusion that's out there because even, hey, listen, the culture obviously doesn't know where they're going. They're changing laws constantly. And the churches don't even know which way they're going. They're wondering, what, what do we do next? Where do we go now? Who do we follow now? And they don't have a good answer for that. You're the only one. You're the voice in the earth that has an answer for what people need. I said, you're the people. And God has placed us here in the last day. You are the witness of the living God in our time. And we are the ones that, to me, should be uh, willing and able to share uh, what God has done. And that our God is real. That our God lives. Let me tell you a little testimony. This is one that Brother Bantam tells. It's about a fellow who was involved in the full gospel businessman. And his name was John Sherratt. And uh, he was one of the, uh, I, believe, I believe he was one of the 23 that uh, began the full gospel businessman. And Brother Sherratt, uh, Brother Bam said he was born into this world, very poor man, very simple man, uh, hardly had anything. Him and his wife, uh, you know, he, he stuttered really bad. He was socially backward, uh, nothing about him. He's a big, burly kind of a guy. And his job was, with his education, all he could do was cut concrete in the post-Depression years to make a living. And that's what he did for a living, cut concrete. I doubt if he had good, uh, good, good uh, tools to cut concrete back in the 1920s and 30s. But that's what he did for a living. And he just simply prayed. And he said, Lord, I, I, I'm not a, he was a Christian, but he said, Lord, I, I'm not a fancy kind of a person. All I can't talk right. Every time I try to make a sentence, I got to start again, start again, start again. He said, but Lord, you're going to have to help me find a wife because I'll never be able to get out there and, and find one on his own. And at 25 years old, Brother Bram said that God gave that man a real queen of a wife. And he said they were in Los Angeles, and that's where they lived. And he said they had worked for several years and saved up $1,500 over many years and bought themselves a simple little two-bedroom house. And that's where they were living. And Brother Branham said, and this is in the message in 1950, it's called Faith Without Works is Dead. Brother Branham said that one day, he said, a a minister came to town, a well-known minister came to town, and he was staying in a camp. And a camp was set up in California for transients who came across the country, uh, like in the Grapes of Wrath era, and they were just staying there because it was a temporary place to stay. It didn't hardly cost anything, but it was primitive. It was outside. 
And uh, Brother Branham said that uh, this minister came to town and he didn't have the money to stay in a hotel, so he was staying at this camp. And uh, this, this uh, minister, uh, he, um, he, he got to know the sheriffs. And one night, he said, this brother sheriff was laying in his bed and he said, God really began to deal with him strongly and told him to give his house to this minister so he could start a movement or a church here in Los Angeles. And so, I mean, he's in a depression era, right? There's not a whole lot of resources, not a whole lot. He had nowhere to go, had no other family there. But he said, honey, <laughs> told his wife, he said, honey, the Lord's just dealing with my heart that we should give this house to the minister and, and let him have that so he can establish things here in, in the city and the city really needs it. And she amazingly said, she amazingly said, well, if the Lord told you to do it, she said, that's perfectly okay with me. And none of the sisters said. I mean, it's just an ama- that's the way Brother Bram tells it. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. So they packed a little bit belongings. And in the dream, he said, take your things and your silverware. And that was in the dream. Take your silverware and your clothes and your wife and leave your home. This is a direct quote. And turn that over to Brother Sutton. And he says, think of it, after 10 years of hard labor in the Depression, saving and striving, and he turns it over, and he says, all right, Lord. This brother Sherrod says, all right, Lord. And the wife packs up the silverware and a little bit of stuff they have, and off they go, and they change places. They went and stayed in this camp, this, this uh, you know, transient camp. And so they're staying in a, in a place there, and he's cutting concrete, and he's just doing odd jobs, you know, just to try to kind of save up a little bit of money here. And when he's doing that, uh, on the same street where he's cutting concrete, there happens to be a, a woman who's a millionaire who lives on this street. And uh, she, she kind of got to know him and chatted with him a little bit and asked him about, asked him about who he was. And he said he was living out in this uh, place out here. And a couple, of, a couple of days later, she comes to him and says, Hey, I feel like God has dealt with my heart, and uh, I'm going to move all the stuff out of my uh, uh, garages here, and why don't you just bring your wife and come on and live he said, I, I couldn't do that. And she said, no. He said, I, I just feel this would be right for us to do. So he, he and his wife packed up their little bit of stuff, their silverware, brought it in. They lived in this place. Now, the garage was probably quite nice. She was a millionaire, and she was just living there by herself. And so they set up house. He said they went out and bought a box spring, and, uh, you know, they set it up and made home. And he said they lived there for about a year, happy as two pigs in a poke. And they were <clears throat> living there doing fine. Finally, this millionaire woman comes down to him, and she says, I see you praying, and I hear you praying at night. And she said, you're thanking God for what you have and appreciating all that God has done for you. And she said, I, I, God's been really dealing with my heart. And she said, he told me to come down and give you this check. And so she handed him a check for $10,000. Now, back in that day, $10,000 was a huge amount of money in the post-depression era. And he says, oh, man, he says, I, I have no education. And he says, I, I, I couldn't pay you this back. He said, I can't take this from you. She, she said, sorry, but the Lord told me to loan you this money here and give you the, the funds, 10000 And he, you know, he tries to resist it. He tries to, I don't want to owe you anything. And he, she says, no, God told me that this was for you, so take it. And she said, just trust the Lord for the future. So he wound up taking the money. <clears throat> and uh, as a result of that, Brother Branham said that he went out in his work and he said, they saw a little house that was for sale, a lot of property for sale back in that day. And uh, they saw a little house for sale, and it was $2,000. So they went ahead and bought it with the money that they had. 
and uh, he kept cutting concrete. But in his off time, he and his wife replastered the whole house. Brother Ben tells the story, replastered the whole house, painted it, made it look nice. And he said if they had sold it for 3000 he said that would have been a real deal. It would have been really profitable for them to do it. But somebody came along and offered him $6,000 for the house. And he said, so they took that money and they went and bought another house and you know how it goes and you got the, the real estate story. And, and, and now this, this man, Brother Branham's telling, uh, he said, and now Brother Branham, he came to Brother Branham in a meeting and he said, I, I, w- I want to follow you, I want to be your manager. He says, I don't have to work. He said, I have so much money, I don't know what to do with it. God had blessed him so much, paid the woman back and went on and, and just became one of the founders of the uh, businessmen there and uh, you know, live like that, him and his wife, and God greatly blessed them because they were willing to sacrifice. Now, I, I, I tell you that story, and I mean, Brother Branham tells us it's quite extraordinary, really, uh, in, in the whole uh, outline of it, but I, I will tell you something that we're always better when we obey God, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if, it, even if it's not logical, we're always better obeying God. You're at your best when you obey God. And, and, and have that sensitivity to him and, and, and just to pray. You say, well, Brother Barry, that was way back there. Let me tell you a story about what happened Sunday. And Brother Troy Hughes down here, is, uh, he's, he's had some issues with his heart, and we've talked about this. And Brother Troy gave me permission to tell the story as long as I didn't ask him to tell the story. So I'm going to tell this. I, I told him, I said, I'll tell it for you. And Brother Troy has a problem with an enlarged heart. And they don't really know why that that happens. At least, at least most of us don't know why that happens. But his heart is enlarged over years. There's three solutions to that problem, and none of them are really very good. Uh, uh, you know, they're kind of drastic, really, when you think about what they would have to do to his heart in order to cause the growth to stop or to shrink it or shave it. Or, I mean, it's, it's, it's really not an ordinary situation. And so he's got to go for a test at Duke. He's wearing a heart monitor right now. Uh, you know, they're, they're testing him pretty carefully because uh, Brother Troy's a strong man and a worker. And, you know, it's affected things over a little while. And we've been praying together and uh, praying for him. And we've mentioned it a time or two here. Sunday, he goes into the fish house where they always go for lunch. Just about always go. Unless we can bend our arm to, to, to do something else. But they were at the fish house. And, and uh, as they were going through and got their dinner, finished up. Walking out the cash register line, woman comes and taps him on the shoulder. And Brother Troy looks around, doesn't know this woman, never seen her before in his life. And she says, excuse me, sir. And Brother Troy, I hope I get this right, okay, but he, based on what he told me. But she comes along and says, sir, if you don't mind, the Lord just spoke to me and said, you're the one. You're the one. And I'd like to take your bill and I want to pay your, pay your lunch for you and your wife and take care of that expense for you. And she said, the Lord spoke to me and said to tell you that you have a heart condition and everything about your situation is going to be okay. It's going to be all right and not to worry. And he said, I was just, I never saw that woman before, never saw her in my life. And, and he said, I was just, just amazed by that. And you know, the Bible says that we should be careful about entertaining strangers, right? Because even unawares, there could be angels and we, we really don't know. I mean, there are lots of testimonies of Christians who have been confronted by people. And so she gave her name and she took the bill and paid for it and never saw her again. Never saw her before, never saw her after that. And just someone comes up and knows what's going on in his life and, and, you know, makes that statement like that. Let me tell you, all I want to do is say to you tonight that I believe that God is real and God watches over his people. God cares about what you're going through and God cares about the things that are happening in your family. 
and, and God cares about, uh, you know, the, the struggles that we have. And, and I will tell you, the, the very best thing that we can do is to, uh, you know, just to, in, in our homes, in the sanctuary of our homes and behind the dividing line between us and Sodom, between the door of our house and the rest of the world out there, in our house, we should say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to apply the token. We're going to get out things that don't belong. We're going to include things that do belong. We're going to make our home a place where it's inviting for people to come because we want to have shalom in the home. We want to have not only just peace in our home, we want to have the Prince of Peace in our home. We want to have the kind of environment where he can pass by any time and stop in our home and, uh, and he could visit and bless us and speak to us and, and impart the blessing on other people. That's the kind of thing that we want to have. In order to do that, we've got to watch our speech. We've got to watch how we discipline. We've got to watch how we treat one another. We've got to make sure we put the right priorities on things that matter. We've got to go back and find out, is this what God requires of me as a husband or a wife or a teenager or whatever else? And to begin to apply those things in our household. This series alone, this series has touched hearts. People have sent me back quotes of things that I've said. In other parts of the world, they've listened to it because they said it's just such an important thing for us to have some shalom in the home and then to figure out how to actually do that. And did Brother Branham talk about that? And for us to have, uh, you know, an, 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 a nice place where the Holy Spirit's always welcome because, it, you know, it's not hard to have peacefulness in here. And we sense the presence of the Prince of Peace here while we're gathered together. And we should. My goodness, if we don't have it here, we don't have it anywhere. But I will tell you what, it doesn't begin here. It begins at home. And, 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 and that's where, to me, our priority should be. And, uh, you know, to not take one another for granted and to work things out and, and uh, uh, show compassion and, and, and empathy for one another. Uh, you know, Brother Branham defines this in his day. Even before empathy was really a word, Brother Branham defines empathy. And you remember when he talks about that old Mexican man that came across the prayer line on the platform in Mexico. And he said, that man, he said, would have been about the same age as my father now if my father had lived. And he said, I, I stood up next to him like this to see if my jacket would fit him. Oh, poor old fellow, never had any shoes on. And he said, I put my foot right next to his. And he said, if my shoes would have fit him, I would have given him the shoes. And Brother Bam's looking at that man and something in his heart clicks for that man and he wants to do something right for him. Sympathy is recognizing that the man has a poor situation. But empathy is going the extra mile and saying, I'd like to be able to do something for that person. I'd like to be able to give him my jacket. I'll give him my shoes. I'll give him whatever I can in order to alleviate the suffering. Or in other words like this, sympathy is standing on the shore and looking at a person drowning out in the water. That's sympathy. You say, my goodness, wow, what a terrible thing. The person is drowning. Empathy says, whoa, my person's out there drowning. Let me go after him. You actually put your own skin in the game. And you got, you got an involvement there. Let me tell you something. I, I, I will say this. Your children are not going to be raised by just hanging around the church and hanging around uh, good Sunday school and hanging around uh, with church dinners. Your children are going to be, they're going to be influenced in their life by watching and listening to what you as parents say and do. And how you live and how you conduct yourself. And how that, uh, you know, you handle the crises that come your way. Because many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. And here's a man, this brother shared right here, in the worst of conditions, but yet he's praying and thanking God. And an unbeliever hears him praying and says, you know, scratching her head and wondering, how in the world does a person do that? In the situation that he's in, living in the garage, how in the world does a person be thankful to God? Well, let me tell you, uh, we've got something that the world doesn't know anything about. We've got something that's real in our hearts. And in order, if you want to have shalom in the home, you've got to have shalom in your heart. You've got to have it here first before you can express it in your own home.
And to me, that's the value of, of, of ministry. And, and you look at all the things that Brother Branham warned us about and all the things that Brother Branham taught us about uh, back in that day. He says, what you want to do, he says, and this is my closing piece of advice. He said, do you believe you've placed the Lord between you and your sin, between you and your sickness and you and your fault, you and your ways? The next time I start to light a cigarette, he said, I put the Lord, the Lord is before me. The next time I start to lust, the Lord is before me. David said, I will ever set him before me. In other words, I put him between me and everything that I do. And he said, the next time I start to tell anything that's wrong, they'll put the Lord before me. The next time I say a bad thing, the Lord is before me, and I shall not be moved. I'll live in his presence each day with my dealings, with my talk. I'll live in the presence of God, he says, with my dealings and with my talk when I put him in front, when I put him in between. So it differences between husband and wife, differences between the parents and the children, differences between family members and all of that. I'll walk as if the Lord is before me because tonight I put him before me. I shall not be moved. Let's stand to our feet. Would any family here like to raise their hands and say, I'd like you to pray for me, Brother Barry. I would like to have shalom in my home. And I'd like to have shalom in my heart because that's the way I bring it to my house is when I have shalom in my home. And the only way you're going to do it is not just by, uh, you know, uh, by uh, hanging around with good people and all of that. Like I said, I believe that we're going to have it because we put the Lord before us and nothing interferes with that. In the beginning, God wanted to have a beautiful place with a family. He wanted to have all of that there so that he could enjoy his presence. Anytime he wanted to walk into the Garden of Eden. And I believe the only place that God's going to be able to do that in our time, in our culture, in our, in our era, the only, the only people that God's going to be able to do that with is with the bride of Christ, to be able to, to, to just have complete access. You want to have access to Him, right? Whenever your emergency arises, you want to have access to God. You don't want to, uh, you know, have to make an appointment and wait. You want to have access to God, right? You want to have, you want to have that, that one-on-one right away. I got a need. Lord, this is happening. I got a need. And if that's what we want, isn't it reasonable, reasonable to assume that he would want the same thing with us? And have instant access to be able to come and minister to us and speak to our hearts. Let's bow our heads together. How many of you would like to have shalom in your heart and shalom in your home? Heavenly Father, as musicians play, our desire, Lord, is just to practice the peace of God that passes understanding. Lord, there's many things about this life we don't have answers for, lots of things that are absolutely crazy in their unfolding. It is the expression of the kingdom of darkness. The poor people trapped in it don't even know what's acceptable, what's right. Don't even know their real identity. And just, Lord, you see the every major system in our world moving away from biblical standards and even common sense. What's taught in universities, what's taught in schools, and how Satan gradually got in and got in and got in and nobody said a thing. And now it becomes, everything becomes normalized very quickly. Everything becomes accepted very quickly. Lord, in our hearts, I pray you'd stir, stir deeply, Lord, within our hearts that we and our families, we might rise up, teach our children the testimonies of our God. That, Lord, we might live 
on this earth as it is in heaven. That our lives might truly be a match to the way things are in the kingdom. That, Lord, we would all say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. There are people, Lord, but their hands are raised. And my hands are raised, Lord, because I, I want to know that peace. I want to have that peace in my house. I never want to take the people that I live with for granted. I never want to lose that desire to express love and compassion, empathy. Lord, I want to work hard. I want to be responsible. I want to be honest. Because, Lord, that's the place every Christian man should be. And, Lord, I pray for everyone here as represented that has their hands raised. Lord, that, Lord, the peace of God might be present in their homes and that you would not have to wait, but, Lord, you could pass through any time. That our priorities would not be on the things of the world. Our prior, priorities would not be upon what everybody else does or what the government decides about this or that. But, Lord, that our priorities would be shaped and formed by the voice of God that has come to us in this last day. And, that, Lord, we will learn to practice obedience. We think of this, brother, share it, Lord. And my goodness, what a, what a sensitivity a man like that would have to give everything he has and give it to God. And, Lord, for Brother Troy, and, Lord, somehow or another, I believe, Lord, his prayer touched the throne of God, that he could send somebody to him with a word of encouragement. Lord, we pray tonight, as we put Brother Troy into your hands, that, Lord, you would touch him. And I pray, dear God, that you would reverse this process in his heart and bring healing to his body. Lord, you can do it. And I, we're asking, Lord Jesus because you're the great physician and you made that heart and I, we accept the challenge of the enemy and we say Lord Brother Troy is your son and I just commit him to you tonight and Lord there are many people that are here and many people that are listening that are reaching out to you in prayer and I just commit them to you I believe Lord Jesus that you're, you're a healer tonight the same as you ever were the prophet also taught us Lord that we can't ever pray too much So, Lord, the best thing we can do in the days that lay ahead, we're going to place the Lord before us. I shall not be moved. We're going to place you continually in front of us that our attitudes might change. Our attitudes in church and our attitudes at home and our attitudes at work. Our attitudes when we have to do the hard things might change when we know it's the will of God. Lord, we have dangers that rage all around us. We live in the end of the world when things are falling apart. I pray, Lord, for all of our medical people and ask that, Lord, you would bless them on the front lines of dealing with people who are so sick and ask their God that you would protect them and watch over them. Lord, I pray for Brother Aaron tonight and his mom and his family, Lord, in Zimbabwe and just ask, dear God, that you would bring comfort and consolation to their hearts, having lost a loved one. I think of Brother Soriano, Lord, and the great work that he's done over the years in the Philippines how he has stood for you and labored on behalf of the people there. I ask, oh God, that just once more you would move on his behalf. Lord, bless him and his wife and give them the healing touch they need. We love you, Lord Jesus. Had enough funerals in the last couple of weeks. We stand together, Lord. Pray for Brother Tim Pruitt for his days ahead. Now, Lord, that the music is over and everybody's gone home, I just ask, oh God, that you would be his comfort. You would be his strength. 
What a lonely place to be. Father, have your way among us, we pray. We love you. We're glad to be able to draw a line in the sand. Glad to know where to draw the line. Glad to have a line to draw. Help us, Lord, I pray, to stand strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Have your way, have your way, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and have your way, and as again now. Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and have your way. to G-Mat in the presence of Jehovah God Almighty. situation that 
that tug of war at me. And all day long I struggle for the answers that I need. Then I come into his presence and all my questions become clear and for that sacred moment no doubts can
God bless you as you go tonight. God still Oh uh...